Well, thank you, Tommy, for sharing with us the power of a the power of God that can change a cha- can change a person's life, uh, the miracle of a changed life. You know, thank you so much. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. You know, I've been praying about you know uh, how should I finish out here? You know, my pastorate here and. I, God kept bringing the book of Ephesians uh, to my mind because, boy, if there is a book for the church in our day, or really any day, uh, it's the book of Ephesians. Because it, it tells us so much about God, so much about what he has done in Christ, so much about who we are in Jesus Christ. It talks about the family, the home, the husband in the home, the wife in the home, children in the home. It tells us about this spiritual battle that we are in uh, with Satan, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So the book of Ephesians is so so, um, pertinent to the day in which we live. So I want you to turn to the first chapter, and let's just let me remind you, please read through this book in the days ahead. Uh, for the next um, uh, couple of months, three months, read this book over and over, and I promise you, you'll get a whole lot more out of it as a result of that than you would if you just came and, and just um, heard on Sunday. So I encourage you, that's your homework, okay, <laughs> to read this book over and over uh, again. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to, the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, 
because I have because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you, uh, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that we have heard. And we just pray now that you would just minister to our hearts your word. May we understand it. May we leave here different because we came and heard. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts as he wishes. And we pray all of this in his wonderful name. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of Hetty Green, but Hetty Green has gone down in history as America's greatest miser. America's greatest miser. Yet when she died, she left an estate valued at over $100 million. And if you put that in today's dollars, that's $17 billion. Uh, she was called the Witch of Wall Street. <laughs> she was a, a Wall Street tycoon. She really was, but a miser, a miser. She ate cold oatmeal because it cost too much to heat it. She refused to heat water for a bath for the same reason. She lived in a rented apartment. She refused to pay for her children's medical care, causing her son Edward to lose his leg. She had riches, but she chose to live like a pauper. I believe Hetty Green is an illustration of so many Christians today who possess the riches of Christ, but who live like spiritual paupers. Nothing is more tragic than that. <laughs> because the theme of this book is our riches in Jesus Christ. Our riches in Christ. Paul begins this great chapter by laying out for us our riches in Jesus Christ. Notice how he begins in, in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ, and you'll read that little phrase, in Christ, and it's so important, 
because this book is all about being in Christ who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now I want you to look at that little word blessed that begins the sentence. It means something like praise be the God. Praise be the God. And what Paul is doing here, he is praising God. Why? Again, verse 3. Because God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. These blessings are for those in Christ, for believers in Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these blessings, all of them, are yours. Now, here we're told the kind of blessing and also the place of blessing. The kind of blessing is every spiritual, spiritual, that's the word, every spiritual blessing. Now, we've all been blessed with many physical and material blessings. There's question, no question about that. Uh, we have a nice home to live in. Uh, we have a job, um, unless you're retired, a career. Uh, you have a car to drive. Uh, you have a family. You have a measure of health, and many other blessings. We could just go on and on and on. But our spiritual blessings far exceed our material blessing. Just think about it. Uh, eternal life far exceeds our material blessings on earth. Heaven far exceeds anything, anything that we have down here on earth. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not just some of them, but all of them. God hasn't kept anything from us. He hasn't kept anything from us. To be a child of the king, to be a child of King Jesus is far greater than being a child of a multimillionaire, a multi-billionaire, far more than that. And we also see the place of blessing in the heavenly places. I think that just simply means that, that uh, we're blessed where Christ is. We're so united to him. We're in Christ. We're so united to him that our blessings is where Christ is. His blessings are ours. Our blessings are his. Now, what are these spiritual blessings? Well, in this great chapter, Paul lays out in a very systematic way the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our salvation. The work of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our salvation. First, he talks about the work of the Father. The work of the Father. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And now, friends, there's something we need to understand from the very outset. Salvation is the work of God. It's not the work of man. It begins with God, and it ends with God. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And right here, Paul is saying that God chose us in Christ, when? Before, before the foundation of the world. In the beginning, when there was only God, 
when there was only God, before he created this world, before we were conceived in our mother's womb, before we were born into this world, God chose to save us, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. God, by an act of his sovereign will, chose to save us. Now, folks, we must not diminish, we must not play down what Paul is teaching us here. We, we, we must not explain it away because we can't understand everything. Before we did anything good, and this is very clear in the book of Romans that we studied months ago, before we did any good, before we did any bad, God the Father chose to save us and to make us his children. Now, this is the doctrine of election. It is not something to be afraid of. It's something to rejoice in. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I cannot wrap my mind around this truth. And, and that's okay. <laughs> because the Bible tells us that God's ways are not my ways. My finite mind, this pea brain of mine, you might say, cannot reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility to trust Christ. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even try. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was asked once, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And his reply was, you don't reconcile friends. I like that. Both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are friends. They're friends. They're both clearly taught in the Bible, and we must believe both. It's not our job to understand it. It's not our job to, to figure it all out. It's our job to believe both truths and leave it with God. Just leave it with God. There is a biblical tension between God's sovereignty on the one hand and man's responsibility on the other hand. And we need to stay in the center, in the center of biblical tension. God in his love chose to save us not because of anything good in us not because he looked down through the corridors of time and saw that we would believe in him he chose to save us because this was his sovereign purpose and for no other reason now this should lead us as christians to praise and to worship him why did God choose us? Well, Paul tells us. Why did he choose us? Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him. I like that. He says it again. He said it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with Jesus. Now look down at verse 5. He says he chose us according to the purpose of his will. Because it was his purpose. He chose us because he wanted to. Now what was his purpose in choosing us? Again, verse 4. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That purpose, my friend, was to conform us into the image of his son. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, God, right now, he sees us as believers as holy and righteous in his sight because he sees us in Christ. So, so when God peers down from heaven and when he looks at us, he doesn't see an old sinner. He sees the righteousness and the holiness of his son, Jesus. That's our position in Christ. But in reality, uh, we are far from holy and blameless. However, when Jesus returns at the rapture, he is going to present us as holy and blameless before the Father in heaven. But until then, and, and that's where we are now, but until then, we're to pursue holiness. We're to grow in holiness. We're to grow more and more like Jesus Christ. We're to allow the Holy Spirit who indwells us to do his work of sanctification to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what else the Father has done for us. Again, verses 4 and 5. In love... He predestinated us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, God the Father has adopted us as sons. Now, when I read that and, and when I studied this this past week, you know, I just ask myself, why would the creator God, why would the God of the universe who created everything, who said, let there be and there was, why would the creator of the universe want to adopt us as his sons? Why would he do that? Well, the answer is found in, in, in these words, in love. In love. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves me. Now, this concept of adoption is, is very, very important. According to Roman law, an adopted son had all the rights and the privileges as a natural-born son in the family. There was no difference. The father treated an adopted son just like he would treat his naturally-born son. There was no difference whatsoever. And, and friends, listen. God doesn't have any stepchildren. He doesn't. They're all sons. They're all sons. God has made us as believers full-fledged sons of God with all the rights and privileges of sonship. So again we ask, you know, why did he do this? Look at verse four, 5 again. According to the purpose of his will. He did it because it was his will to do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. He did it also to bring himself praise and glory. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In the beloved. Look at the word beloved there in verse 6. And my Bible is, is capitalized. And I hope it's capitalized in your your Bible, because it refers to Jesus. It refers to Jesus. The Father adopted us as sons, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because we are in the beloved. We are in Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want to share something else about this with you. The phrase, he has blessed us in the beloved and the ESV, can well be translated, he has accepted us in the blood. In fact, I like that translation better. Meaning that we have been accepted by God because of this union that we have in Christ, because of our relationship with him. Have you noticed um, there's a great need for people today to be accepted? And, you know, this isn't just true of, of young people with their peers. This is true of adults as well. You know, that need to be loved, that need, you know, to be accepted. Need to be accepted. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be accepted. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I want people to like me. I want you to like me, you know. But if people don't like me, it's okay. I mean, I'm good with that. I'm okay. It's okay because God accepts me. I'm accepted by God. And it doesn't matter who else it might be that does not accept me. All that matters is, really, that we're accepted by God. We're accepted by Him. The work of the Father. The work of the Father. Secondly, we see the work of the Son. In verse 7, in Him, again, we see the same word. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. In him we have redemption. In him and in no one else. Listen, the gospel is exclusive. You know, this road won't take you to heaven or that road. The only road that's going to take you to heaven is Jesus Christ. And if you don't come his way, you're not going to get there. In him and in no one else we have redemption through his blood. You know, this reminds me of Peter's words. There is, not, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, the word redemption here means to set, to set free by paying a price. To set free by paying a price. Well, Jesus has redeemed us. He has set us free from our sins. And, and what was the price he paid to redeem us? It, he tells us right here, in his blood. You know, Jesus didn't redeem us by, by living a good life, and he lived a good life. He didn't redeem us by his godly example, and he set a perfect example for us. He didn't redeem us by his excellent teaching even though he was the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth but he redeemed us by his blood by his blood you know i love the old hymn what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of jesus Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. You know, I remember when I was saved, I didn't have one of these earth-shaking experience. I didn't have a Damascus Road experience. Uh, I didn't have a lot of emotion at all, but what I did feel is I felt forgiven. I felt that all of my sins had been taken away. What is the result of all of this? What is the result of our redemption? The forgiveness of our trespasses. Do you see that? The forgiveness of our trespasses. And and that word forgiven, it means to carry away. It means to carry away. And Jesus has carried away our sins. They have been forgiven past, present, and future. They're all under the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but a whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Forgiveness. What a beautiful word. What else has God done for us in Jesus Christ? Look at verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the word mystery, a biblical mystery, is not a whodunit story, something out of Agatha Christie. It's not that. A mystery is something that was hidden in the Old Testament days but has been revealed to us as Christians. This mystery is something we could not find out on our own. It's something that we could not know unless God revealed it to us. And God has revealed this mystery to us. So the question is, what is this mystery? Look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This mystery is God's plan. Here it is. To gather together all things in Christ. To bring together all things in Christ. When will he do it? In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. Have you noticed? Our world is in a mess. It really is. Uh, sin is just tearing everything apart. It all, it all began in the garden. When Adam disobeyed God. And through his sin it has led sin throughout the whole world. And we are born into this world, sinners. We're sinners by choice, you know. So sin has messed everything up. It really has. Wherever you look, there's corruption, there's hatred, there's murder, there's perversion of all kinds, there's war, strife, disunity. Wherever you look, that's what we see in our world today. And the world is only getting worse and worse. In fact, the Bible tells us that things are going to get worse and worse as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. So the condition of the world is not getting better, it's getting worse. So the big question, the big question, and and believe it or not, unbelievers are asking this question, is there hope? Is there hope for this world of ours? Is there hope? 
And the answer is yes. In the fullness of time, do you see that? In the fullness of time, God is going to bring all things together in Christ. My friend, he's going to right every wrong, and he's going to make everything perfect in Christ. He's going to make all things new. We know that because we know what's in the last book of the Bible. We, we, we know how it's going to end. Uh, we, we know the end of the story. And he's going to make all things new. And he's going to bring together all things in Christ. He will do this when Jesus returns to this earth and institutes his millennial kingdom. Well, that's going to be a great time. And, you know, we're going to be in our glorified bodies and we're going to participate in all of that at that time satan will be dethroned because he is the prince of the power of the air he will be dethroned he's going to be chained in the abyss or the bottomless pit and peace and righteousness will reign on earth for a thousand years under king jesus let me share some news for you there's not going to be any lasting peace in our world until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes with healing in his wings. And anything else is just fake news, friends. Presidents, prime ministers, the United Nations for years and years and years have, have sought seriously and honestly even to bring peace. But my friend, peace and righteousness will only come when Jesus Christ comes and he takes control over this world. And friend, that day is coming. It's coming. It's coming. I want you to notice what else God has given us in Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13, 11 and 12. 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, just look at the first phrase in, in verse 11, the first few words, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ we have a glorious inheritance. Peter speaks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fadeth and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable. There's not going to be anything that can corrupt heaven. It's going to be uncorruptible. It's going to be undefiled. It's not going to ever fade away. That's our destiny. That's our, our inheritance in Jesus Christ. You might inherit a billion dollars, but that doesn't compare to your inheritance in Jesus Christ. I hope you don't play the lottery, but if you won the lottery and you you learn you won that great sum of what six hundred and some odd billion dollars, that would not even compare 
through your inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. Well, let's move on to the work of the Holy Spirit. He has a work in our lives. Verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, these amazing words tell us when salvation took place in your life and my life, and that is when you heard the gospel and when you believed the gospel. There's no salvation apart from believing the gospel. Uh, until a sinner, until a sinner hears the gospel and believes it, he's lost. But when a sinner hears the gospel and believes it, he is saved. Do you know how you can know if you're God's elect? If you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you can know that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, notice with me what happens to a person who believes the gospel. It says in verse 13, he's sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, a, a seal in ancient days indicated ownership. You know, a, a king, if he wanted to claim a possession or if he wanted to say, this possession belongs to me, he would put his seal on it. He would have a signet ring and he would put it in wax and he would seal it. And, and that's his way of saying, you know, keep your hands off of this. It's mine. Well, the moment when we believe the gospel, God put his seal on us. He put his mark on us. His mark of ownership by giving us the Holy Spirit. And it was God's way of saying, you are my possession. Satan, keep off. Now, this, this is my child. That's what he is saying. Well, the Holy Spirit is also the deposit that guarantees our salvation. In verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, we all know what a deposit is. Today, we call it earnest money, you know. When you purchase a house, you, you put down a deposit, promising that the full amount is coming later. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's down payment to us, promising that more is coming, more is coming, that we will receive our full inheritance when we get to heaven. And again, Verse 14, all of this is to the praise of his glory. Now, having laid out all that the triune God has done for us in Jesus Christ, Paul is moved to pray for the Ephesians. And you know, my friend, this prayer is not just for them. It's for us as well. Look at verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Four main requests, very briefly, four main requests. First, to know Christ. To know Christ. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, now, what does it mean to know Jesus? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to know about Jesus. It doesn't mean to know facts about Jesus. 
when I was 19, I was a congressional student intern in Washington, D.C., and I had the privilege of meeting Gerald Ford, the soon-to-be president of the United States. You know, um, I spent some time with him. I heard him speak. I shook his hand. But I didn't know Gerald Ford. And he didn't know me. Because knowing a person means you have a relationship with that person. Knowing Jesus is not just knowing about him. Oh, yes, there are certain things we need to know about him. But it's not just knowing about him. Knowing Jesus is to know him intimately. It's to have a personal relationship with him. You know, there's going to, lot, there's going to be a lot of church people who believe that they're Christians because they know all about Jesus. But they don't know him personally. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So knowing Jesus is not just knowing about him. And, and the question I think we all need to ask ourselves is this. Do we really know him? Do we really have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Now once we come to know Jesus, we need to grow in our knowledge of him. And Paul's prayer here is that we might come to know Jesus better and better. And I believe that's one of the greatest needs in the church today. To, to go beyond a, super, a superficial knowledge of Christ to a deeper, growing knowledge of him. I like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, that I might know him, that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, that I might know him. Now, that's a personal relationship, man, with Jesus Christ. There's only one way we can know Christ better, and that's through this book. That's why I keep telling you, you know, you need to be in this book daily. You need to be in this book every single day. And, you know, let me just give you a little exercise. If you read the Bible, as you read the Bible, God's Word daily, ask God to reveal Christ to you so that you can get to know Him better. As you listen to God's word preached, ask God to reveal Christ to you so that you can get to know him better, to know him. The second request is to know the hope of your calling. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. A glorious future awaits us as believers. A glorious future. On that day, we will receive a resurrected, glorified body. A wonderful home in heaven. You know, that's our hope. Folks, there's a lot of hurting people in our world today. And you don't have to go far to, to see them. They're in your own family. 
They're, on, they're in your own family. They're, they're, they're your friends, maybe. They're those you work with, go to school with. Those in your community, those in your neighborhood. And you know, the world offers no hope. But Jesus does. You know, when we share God's word, when we share the gospel with those who are far from God, we're offering them something that the world has nothing to offer. And that's hope. We have a message of hope in Jesus Christ. Well, the third the third request is know God's inheritance in the saints. Verse, verse 18, what are the riches of his, notice, his glorious inheritance in the saints? It's not referring to our inheritance in Christ. We've already looked at that. Paul is saying that we, he is saying that you and I are God's inheritance. We are God's riches. We are his treasure. That's what he's saying. That's the great value God places on us as believers. We are his precious treasure. As you probably know, Kent Hughes uh, is one of my favorite authors, and, and this is what he says. He says, God owns all the heavens and numberless worlds, but we are his treasures. The redeemed are worth more than the universe. We ought to be delirious of this truth. Paul prays that we see this with our heart's eyes. Oh, how true that is. We are his treasure. And then finally, to know God's power available to us. To know God's power available to us. Beginning at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. Friends, God's almighty power is available to us. The very same power that happened on resurrection day. The same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. It's available to us. You know, just let that truth just sink in just for a moment. God's awesome power that raised up Jesus from the dead and seated him at the Father's right hand and gave him rule and authority over everything in this age and in the age to come and made him head over all things in the church. That same power is available to us. Why don't we avail ourselves to it? The greatest power in the world does not reside in the man who sits in the White House. The greatest power in the world resides in the one who is seated in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask, are you struggling? Are you struggling to overcome some sin in your life that you seem not to be able to shake?
Maybe you're overcome by worry. Maybe you're paralyzed by fear. I have good news. The power of the risen and exalted Christ is yours right now. Right now. To give you victory. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Don't be a heady green Christian. Let's, let's don't be heady green Christians. Don't live as a spiritual pauper when we have the riches of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, most gracious Heavenly Father, for this time that we've had in your word, Lord, and we've covered a lot. We have seen who we are in Jesus Christ. We have seen what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, has done for us in Christ Jesus. We have seen that the very power of the resurrected Christ lives in us to give us victory, to give us the power to serve you and to live for you and to follow you and to obey you. It's all been given to us. God, help us not to live like paupers when we have the riches of Christ. 